Now more than ever, politicians are under the microscope. The American presidential election is watched the world over and tends to dominate news cycles for the better part of a year whenever it occurs. One would hope that this additional scrutiny would help to raise the bar for our elected representatives to do what is in their constituents' best interests. One would very much hope. However, this episode is about one particular Canadian Prime Minister who had a long and storied political career, but was a notoriously private man. In fact, one of the few people that he talked with regularly was his own mother, who was a constant conversational companion with him for decades, first as a member of parliament and then as prime minister for over two decades. The thing is, his mother passed away four years before he became prime minister. I'm Braden Thorvaldson, and this is what? Explain. William Lyon Mackenzie King was Canada's 10th Prime Minister and the longest-serving leader of Canada. He served as Prime Minister for three non-consecutive terms, which lasted over 20 years, and he was the main guiding force that helped Canada through most of the years between World War I and World War II. He was a workaholic who held a master's degree in political economy from Harvard and an additional Ph.D., the only Canadian Prime Minister to earn one thus far. King held a keen interest in labour and social welfare, becoming Canada's first Minister of Labour in 1909, only one year after he was elected for the first time as a member of the Liberal Party. However, his victory was short-lived and he was defeated in the 1911 election, which saw the Conservative Party of Canada take power again. King worked on the lecture circuit for two years, and then was hired by John Rockefeller Jr. to serve as the head of the Department of Industrial Research for the Rockefeller Foundation. He worked for the foundation in New York for the next four years, but still kept his primary residence in Ottawa, hoping to have the chance to run for office again. King's chance arrived in 1917, when the Conservative Party dissolved Parliament after six years in power and began to run as a pro-conscription coalition party, known as the Unionist Party. This represented the vast majority of the Conservative candidates, as well as a significant minority of Liberals who supported the conscription of Canadians to fight in World War I. Wilfrid Laurier, the leader of the Liberal Party at the time, was staunchly opposed to conscription of Canadians, as was the majority of the Liberal stronghold of Francophone residents of Canada. They did not want to be forced into a war because of Great Britain demanding them to go. This resulted in a very bitter, heavily contested election. King was a great supporter of Laurier and the Liberals, and moved back home to run for office in North York, Ontario, where his grandfather had held office previously. It was during that time that King had received word that his mother had fallen ill. When he went to go and see her, she encouraged him to go back out on the campaign trail as he was trying to win back his seat in Parliament. King acceded to her wishes and went back to campaigning. But by the time he was able to return, his mother had passed on. He ended up losing the election to add insult to injury. Regardless, he never quite forgave himself for not being there when she passed on. This, combined with the passing of his older sister in 1915 and his father the year after, left King a bereaved and lonely man who wanted nothing more than to see his family again. After his defeat in 1917, 
and the measure of the losses he had suffered previously, King threw himself into his work. When Laurier died in 1919, King was elected leader of the Liberal Party as his successor. After yet another contentious election in 1921, the Liberals won 118 of 235 seats in Parliament, the exact minimum amount needed to have a majority government, and Mackenzie King became Prime Minister. King's tenure as Prime Minister was marked by many canny political decisions, including the creation of Dominion status for Canada, making it no longer subordinate to Great Britain, and the creation of unemployment insurance as of 1940. He had many political allies, but very few true personal confidants. Much of this could be put down to King's personality. Even his strongest supporters were forced to acknowledge that King lacked the easy charisma of many of his contemporaries, such as Winston Churchill and Franklin D. Roosevelt. While he was a consummate politician and found a significant amount of success in political life, he never really connected on a personal level with voters, due to his unwillingness to take a strong public stance on many issues of the time. And the social side of politics was the side that he primarily struggled with. Hosting a dinner of political and social associates was something that the unmarried workaholic would rather avoid, preferring the verbal sparring matches in the House of Commons or the political intrigues of Parliament Hill. However, he wasn't completely alone and isolated. He did have routine conversations and communications with his family members, albeit through an unusual medium, if you'll excuse the pun. King first discovered spiritualism, and by extension, communication with the dead through mediums, in the early 1920s, early in his first term as Prime Minister. He became convinced of the veracity of the medium's connection with the spirit realm by the experience of the wife of a liberal senator that he knew. Her father had passed on, and his will couldn't be found. At her wit's end, she ended up consulting a medium in order to contact the spirit of her dead father to find out where exactly he had hidden the will. The medium ended up telling her that the will was in a chest of drawers in a house in France. She searched the house, and there it was. That particular story was the bedrock in which Mackenzie King started his foray into spiritualism. To be clear... He wasn't a through-and-through through spiritualist. He didn't practice it as a religion, and in fact remained a practicing member of the Presbyterian Church until he died. But unlike most Christians, he believed in life after death not as a matter of faith, but as an absolute fact, and stated that he had audiences with his mother, his deceased brother and sister, and friends such as Winston Churchill and Franklin D. Roosevelt. He didn't call on his family for any advice on matters of state or anything similar. He basically called on them just to talk. He was a private person who, while an astute politician who had been prime minister for a significant period of time and was well-respected, if not well-liked, on both sides of the aisle, had very few confidants. The loss of his mother while he was on the campaign trail weighed on him for the rest of his days, and he felt some measure of comfort from talking to her in whatever way that he could. In fact, on many of his trips to Britain when he consulted a medium, the vast majority of them had absolutely no idea who he was. To them, he was just a man who wanted to talk to someone who was no longer here. King's spiritualism was something of an open secret. He never directly hid many things about it, 
and it was his generally private nature that made the secret all the easier to keep. In fact, the secret was kept until he died. His staff knew, his truest confidants knew, but nobody else did, and the secret was kept for the main reason that if it was known, people would assume, at best, that the political machinations of Canada were being dictated by those from beyond, or that Canada was being run by a crackpot at worst. The secret lasted about two weeks after his passing, and then the story was broken by the Psychic News, a spiritualist weekly newspaper. After that, the cat was out of the bag. While it is a matter of interest to some that he was a spiritualist who routinely talked with his deceased family members and other associates through mediums and Ouija boards, the most interesting thing to me personally was just how successful the secret was in being kept. King was involved with seances for over two decades and for the entirety of his prime ministership. The fact that this was an entirely kept secret from the public until his passing in 1950 was something that truly would not be possible in this day and age. With everything in the political sphere being under this heavy scrutiny, the leader of a country for two decades having conversations with the spirit world would not have remained secret for long. What is also interesting is the absolute united defense from both the mediums that King utilized and his personal companions is that King never once asked for advice or opinions on matters of state. If he was talking to members of his family, he wanted to know how they were, what they were doing, how things were where they were. For all intents and purposes, it seemed a bit like any other relationship with family members who live out of town. You don't call them to ask advice about work. You ask them what they've been up to, how they're doing. Reactions to King being a practitioner of seances and a user of mediums is widely varied. While some think it overshadows his considerable political achievements and should be minimized, others think it humanizes a man who ended up cultivating something of a cold and staid external demeanor throughout his public life. To me, it paints a picture of a man who never got along particularly well with people, who is isolated both by his political office and by his personality, and just wanted to talk to his family and friends that had passed on. This was how he was able to talk to his beloved family, and to gain some level of closure for not being able to be there when they passed. When you think about it like that, wouldn't you take the chance on being able to talk to them again? I'll talk to you all in a couple weeks, with another fact that will make you go. What? Explain. <laughs>